Dear listeners, I'm Lauren Conlon, and before you embark on this investigative journey with me, I want to offer a sincere word of my acknowledgement and gratitude. When I, as the host, first set out on this path, I was admittedly very green. I lacked the seasoned expertise and finesse that comes with experience in investigative podcasting and reporting. However, Every story has a beginning and an ending, and this podcast represents the start of my own investigative odyssey. So as you dive into these episodes, you may notice rough edges or moments where my inexperience shines through, but please know that every stumble and misstep has been a crucial part of my learning process, and I've embraced each challenge as an opportunity for growth and improvement. So I want to express my heartfelt appreciation to each and every one of you who was stuck with the story despite my imperfections because Grant's story is important. So your support and patience have been invaluable as I've navigated the complexities of investigative podcasting and your feedback, whether constructive criticism, words of encouragement, or maybe something that wasn't so nice has helped me and helped shape this podcast into what it is today. So without further ado, here is Corruption, What Happened to Grant Solomon. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Lauren Conlin, and welcome to Corruption. What happened to Grant Solomon? All right, guys, we are working so hard over here and making progress in getting Grant's case reopened however we can. So today's episode is going to focus on Grant's little sister, Gracie Solomon, who has an incredibly heartbreaking testimony of her own. Gracie Solomon bravely took to YouTube in 2021 to make the video that you are about to listen to after the courts, her school, and other adults in power just would not listen to her when she made the claims that her father, Aaron Solomon, had been sexually abusing her since the age of four years old. 
Now, these claims of sexual abuse against Aaron Solomon were actually substantiated by the Tennessee Department of Children's Services in 2021, and Gracie was able to solely live with her mother, Angie, and Gracie and Angie were able to get a temporary no-contact order in place between Gracie and her father, Aaron Solomon, but essentially Aaron Solomon was never prosecuted for these alleged crimes. So I want to warn you what Gracie details is really, really disturbing. Um, It is just so sad to hear this young girl speak of these things that are just unspeakable, you know, as a a mother and as a, a daughter and a sister and a wife. I just... It just really, it pains me that this poor girl has had to deal with this, you know, essentially on her own. I mean, of course she has her wonderful mother, Angie, and her friends and, you know, certain certain very close friends that try to help, but I just can't even imagine saying this, this over and over and being hurt over and over and having no one listen. My heart just breaks for Angie and Gracie on a daily basis just because I know how much they miss Grant. I know how much Angie misses her son and Gracie misses her brother, her protector. So I do think it's important for everyone to hear Gracie's story. And after Gracie's story, I'm going to read a letter to you written by a local mom in Franklin, Tennessee, to Tennessee Governor Bill Lee, which I found very, very powerful. And I think it's it'll be very informative for people that are are new to this case or just heard about this case because of the podcast. So something to note, huh, shocker, Governor Bill Lee never wrote back. But anyway, we will get to that after Gracie's testimony. So just get your tissues ready and let's play brave Gracie Solomon's story. Solomon, I'm 14 years old, and I'm here to tell my story. I just want to say before we get into any of this that it's coming straight from me. It's all me, and no one else is telling me what to do. My brother died protecting me from my father, Aaron Solomon. My father is a monster. It makes me want to vomit. I've been minimalized, but now I've found my voice to be able to tell you that my father raped me hurt me, and I'm not going to be a victim of this monster. He's a rapist, he's a molester, he's a liar, and he's a killer. I hate my dad. I'm absolutely terrified of him for everything he's done to me, my brother, and my mom. I don't want to call him my dad anymore. He's never listened to me. He's hurt me sexually, physically, and mentally. He has caused so much pain for my family. He has tried to manipulate me and has manipulated others, and it has worked. Ever since I was born, my dad has done awful things to me. First, he never let my mom bathe me. It was always him. So by not letting my mom come in at all, it meant that he could do anything to me. I would always tell my mom I felt like I was more like a wife to him instead of his daughter. He would always bring his phone into the bathroom with him. At the time, I didn't know it, but I strongly believed he was taking pictures and videos. I had to learn to hide my body from him by flipping my hair over because he wouldn't leave me alone while I was showering or getting out. He would make excuses like me needing a towel or my hair was hard for me to wash on my own. So he would be able to help me. He is a sick person. 
After showering, he would sit me down in his lap with only a towel to brush my hair. <clears throat> he brushed through my hair so aggressively I would sometimes cry. I had terrible scars from that, and they are still somewhat visible. I even remember taking a bath as a young kid, probably first grade, and him washing me with the Dove Bar soap completely up and inside of my garments. I know now that it was probably his hand, but I was too young to know any better. All of my grandparents knew about the abuse and still supported him. When I was at his house at night, I would sometimes feel like I couldn't control my body, or I would get sleepy and wake up in my dad's bed. One night, I woke up with rashes on my inner thighs, both, and my privates also burned frequently. One of Grant's friends remembers looking over the upstairs railing and seeing my head slung over and my and dad wrapping me in his lap. Sorry. Every night, my dad would lock his bedroom door. Sometimes I was sick or crying. Most of the time, I probably missing my mom so much. And I would bang on his door and scream for him. He never answered. While I lived with him in fourth grade, I practically broke my back by falling and hitting the edge of a concrete culvert and big rocks. It was almost impossible to walk for a while. He didn't care enough to even take me to the doctors. I have records now of how bad my back was injured three years later from the incident. In the car, if we said something that made him mad, he would speed up really fast and it would scare me and Grant. Dad is super manipulative and has manipulated so many people. He even tries to convince me that I'm being brainwashed by my mom and everything I remember never happened. He tries to scare me into thinking my mom's house is unsafe. He knows how scared I am of robberies and kidnapping or getting taken from my mom. In fact, he took me away from my mom for years when I was just ending my kindergarten year. Later on, he told me that I was never going back to my mom and that she was actually dead. I don't remember when I found out that she was alive, but I know Grant and I both believe she was dead for years because of him. One time at my grandparents' house, my dad's parents, I remember hearing my grandpa say to Grant that he wanted to kill my mom. It made Grant so mad he started throwing stuff in the room. And I was so hurt and started crying. After I was finally able to start seeing mom again, my dad got mad because we didn't want to leave her. When the cop showed up, they told Grant and I that we had to leave in the cop car and mom couldn't be the one to take us. They said my dad specifically asked for us to be taken in the cop car so we would learn to not disobey him again. My mom filed for an emergency court hearing to get us back. We were in North Carolina for one of Grant's baseball tournaments when my dad said we had to go back home for court. It was only my dad and I. Grant stayed. We stopped at a hotel room in Asheville. My dad only got one bed when I had asked for two. It made me really nervous before we even got in a hotel room. When we went to bed, I remember him slowly getting closer to me until I was on the edge of the bed. I kept waking up by feeling his feet rub against mine. I kept waking up and then finally realized I felt something hard on my lower back close to my butt. I drew an illustration of what it was like. I felt really scared and knew it was wrong. At court, Dad's attorney got inches away from my face and tried to manipulate me into thinking what my dad did to me didn't really happen by saying, do you really think your dad would do something like that? Do you actually remember that happening? He was so close to me that I could smell his cigarette breath and his tongue really scared me. 
When I learned I had to go back to North Carolina with my dad, I was completely broken and didn't want to stop hugging my mom. He told my dad to pull me off of her and leave because he could. I eventually was able to go to family therapy, sometimes with my dad and Grant. One time I told Grant he could leave the room because he would always be there for me. I told him I was terrified of him being at my school and trying to get me. He got so mad. He reached to throw a chair at me, but ended up storming out of the room. He was screaming and his face was blood red. My counselor tried to calm him down. Through therapy, I have set boundaries with my dad so that I would feel better. Over the past couple of years, he has respected my boundaries, surprisingly. Now, ever since Grant passed, he ignores everything I have said. He is trying to force me to come live with him this Sunday. I am so terrified of him. I'm so scared. I can't go general or without Grant. I'm not going. I begged him in counseling to never do this, and he promised me he would never try to take me again. He is a liar. I'm so scared of that. I've seen him do terrible things to people I love and myself. Because of this, I strongly believe he killed Grant, and now he's going to kill me. Grant and my dad never had a good father-son relationship because of my dad. Dad would always harm, threaten, scare, and stress me out so, so badly. Before my dad took us from my mom, Grant and I were scared of dad because of his ridiculous and terrifying behavior. From trying to kill my mom and constantly yelling at her to freaking us out from all the things he has done to us and our mom. When he took us, he was just as mean and hurtful as he is now. One of the things Grant said dad tried to kill her was, when I'm 6'4", you will not be able to do this anymore. I have always thought about that so much. Grant meant that, and he was scared and so hurt by his dad. That is just awful, and Grant was so young. Dad is controlling in many ways. One way was by giving Indian summaries and telling him that he would always have control over Grant. Dad would just scream at Grant, like I could hear it from everywhere in the house. It was awful. One time, Grant and I were watching TV together, and all of a sudden, Dad comes up and grabs Grant by his shirt, pulls him up, and just yells at him in his face. It was so bad to watch. Dad would get into Grant's head so much. He would limit food and call him fat, criticize him just to the point where Grant would feel so awful. Dad would limit the time Grant had in the bathroom, on his phone, etc. Why the bathroom? Dad would keep our phones in his bathroom, which is locked, in his bedroom that is also locked. Dad never wanted Grant to be around Hannah, his girlfriend, or any of his friends. My dad even kept college letters and threw away some of the ones he didn't like. One of those multiple could have been what Grant wanted. Dad only wanted him to go to Ivy League schools. Dad also used Grant's truck as a way to control him too. Grant was so scared of him. He would apologize so much that if he did anything wrong, like if he was late to hit or if he was too sick, he was scared Dad would get mad. Even if he missed a day of school, the whole rest of the time he was worried about Dad. The day my dad took us, Grant tried to get out of the car to jump out to get back to mom. When he tried, dad grabbed Grant's wrist so tight, Grant thought it broke. And recently still, I would notice Grant touching that same wrist. Grant had a plan to run away with me, so we did. We got a few things together and went to our mom's house. Dad is and was an awful dad to Grant. I would never want Grant to even have to know somebody like him. And I'm happy for Grant, because he will never have to deal with him ever again. Dad would take any or all of his anger out on Grant. Anger out first. 
made Graham train all the time and never had a break, and was at lots of schools. Dad would stop Grant and come to every single practice, training, tryouts, just literally about anything. Grant was even scared enough to open up to Pastor Steve about help for our family, Grant, Mom, and I. Pastor Steve and Dad lied and said Grant wanted to talk about his faith and strengthening his faith. That was said during the funeral, even though Mom and I have always known he went for help because he told us. Grant was my protector and my mom's. I didn't realize how much he protected us. However, now that he's gone, my dad is attacking me again. One of Grant's great friends told me that Grant had plans to reopen and testify for me and him again in court as an adult. A month after his 18th birthday, he had mysteriously died. I want my dad gone. This was from November 24th, 2020. I want zero contact with him, mail, text, in person, etc. Every time he contacts me, I can't get over it. And my focus in school and out is always disrupted because of all his texts and mail. I don't want him at school or games. I get so scared when he's around and I feel trapped. I can't even go get a drink or go to see a friend or anything because he's right there on the bottom row. On November 19th, there was a basketball game. He got to the girls' game an hour early and was filming them as well as almost coming in contact with me, at least 10 feet away and coming. By sneaking out, then the police left because they thought he was gone. So then my dad came back into the gym, and that's when he almost approached me. The school has forced me to go with him before, and I do not need him there. It's terrifying. I know what he's capable of, and that is what scares me. He has traumatized me, and I don't want it to be like this anymore. He needs to stop. Sometimes I'll even check behind curtains downstairs because I think he is there. He has violated the restraining order countless times. I'm not even going to the games anymore to see my brother be honored because of him, and it's not fair. I want custody completely flipped to my mom. She will show her medical records that she is clearly not mentally ill. She has never gotten to show those in court. It's all just lies. I want no contact, period. He makes everything so hard, and it's so scary, and someone needs to stop him. I need an order of protection. I've tried to get one with the sheriff's department, even though he will just break it. I really need someone to do something. I need my own attorney. My guardian ad litem isn't even talking to me, and she's doing things and saying things that I disagree with. No one in this court has listened to me, or Grant, and that is why he is gone. So please, I really need someone to listen to me. This is from October 21st, 2020. Ever since Grant, my brother passed, three months ago yesterday, my dad, Aaron Solomon, has been stalking us and just coming at us by throwing away and forgetting about boundaries I had set. I set boundaries for myself a while back, and he pretty much went by those for almost two years. But why when Grant died, he came after me. He literally just entered himself into our home and was hugging me and playing with my hair. I hated when he did that. It makes me gag, and it makes me think of the things that he has done to me. Soon after, he said that he was coming to get me. He has taken me away from my mom multiple times, and he has used the police to take me. It scared me so bad. He hasn't left me alone, and he has even contacted my friends and close people by sending videos of them. He even filmed up the homecoming court's dresses. It makes me sick seeing him or talking about him. It's so messed up. We recently got a restraining order put in place, but he has been violating it a lot. He isn't supposed to contact me, but he has been. He is coming to school a lot, and it scares me so much. 
I haven't been able to go to school because of how scared I am of him. What makes me even more scared is that I've witnessed how mad he gets, and when he's mad, I know he's really mad. I know he killed my brother, and now I'm scared of him coming near me or coming get me again, or hurt any of us. This is an essay I wrote about um, what I want to do in the future, and it's about the FBI. The career I want to pursue is to be in the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I know that this is something I want to be a part of, and I have a few reasons behind this. I want to be in the FBI to help the innocent. I can use my thoughts, and it is just something that I really, really want to be, because it is extremely empowering. Helping others makes me feel content and happy. I want to feel that, and I want to make others feel better. I also want to be in the FBI to give justice to those people who have done. I have not received that. And eventually, when I do, I want to give back and help others. Um, well, I mentioned that I want to help others, especially women and children in the same situation. And I want justice for myself and my brother and my mom. Family. Um, granted, um, running. Running's a big thing. I love track. Um, and just friends. Just thank God. He's helped me through all of it, so. Um, well, God, it's just, he's answered everything, honestly. And maybe that sounds cliche, but I mean it. He does. And, um, I've seen signs recently, and, um, now it's kind of great and God, so. I'd like to go to UT <laughs> um, and run track. That's something that I really want to do. And maybe I can go ahead and look into being an advocate. I don't know how long the class is left for being an FBI, but that would be amazing. Stop feeling of fear just goes away. And I've always wanted to just be a normal teenager. And hopefully that's maybe soon. But to me, just all my problems went away and just, you know, just being, I guess. What a strong girl. I mean, my heart breaks for Gracie and Angie just because, again, I know how much they miss Grant and how incredible they are to be dealing with everything, especially when it feels like everyone in power is just against them. And Gracie was exercising her First Amendment right in in calling her father a murderer and a rapist and you know, while me personally, I I am sticking to the facts and what's on paper, I absolutely respect everything that she just said. So 
let me go to this open letter next. The open letter written by a Tennessee mom to Governor Bill Lee. And I'm going to read it to you because I think it makes some absolutely great points. And it's great for people who are just hearing about the Solomon case for the first time in this podcast to hear. So without further ado, I'm going to read this letter. I'm going to skip through anything where she says her address or or her name just to protect her. But anyway, um, it's also important to note, I said this before, that Governor Billy never responded. I'm going to skip through the beginning as well, where she just compliments him and says that he's an amazing public servant and, you know, she just makes some small talk. So I'm going to cut right to the important part. I am writing in regards to the death of Grant Solomon. I'm sure you have heard many versions of the truth. It has been a confusing case. I am sharing information that you are most likely not aware of. Grant spent a lot of time at my house with our kids. Grant was for the underdog. He wore Jesus's cross with honor, mentored friends that were struggling, was a 4.0 scholar, fierce athlete. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Loyal to loved ones and an unwavering protector of his little sister. Honestly, I have never met anyone like him and probably never will. His loss has had a massive impact on our community, especially our kids, Grant's brothers, and Grant's spirit is still active and very much with us as he leaves behind a role model for our kids to follow. But there is unfinished business. This is something Grant did not take lightly. Things are not adding up regarding his death. Grant's friends and baseball community brought this to our attention right after visiting the incident scene. They are saying, no way, we're not buying it. I pray, and Grant's friends pray, that you will not look the other way. This shockwave continues to travel and build not only in our community, but through the baseball community and beyond our state, our country, and now internationally. It is a strong calling for justice that has been placed on the people's hearts. God ingrains the scales of justice in our hearts for a reason, to resolve unfinished business and gain closure and righteousness for our loved ones. 
Private investigator Dan Hodges has 30 years experience with the FBI. He has investigated this case for over a year. Dan Hodges has officially put in writing, it is impossible for Grant Solomon to have died without assistance. After Grant's death, two quote-unquote reviews, not full investigations, were done by Gallatin DAs Ron Blanton and Ray Whitley and lead detective Jamie Helson. The DAs claim full investigations were done via their own sworn statements, but a full investigation was never performed. Witnesses were never questioned after the morning of Grant's death. The main witness, Aaron Solomon, was not brought in and questioned beyond the brief conversation with police officers that they had with Aaron the morning at the scene. No subpoenas served to anyone. The incident was written up as a parking lot incident, and it happened on a state highway. The truck was on government property. Measurements were not taken at the scene, Grant's truck was not impounded, and Grant's truck was not investigated for malfunction. Grant's belongings were left beside on the road. They basically took Aaron's word for it at the scene, and that was that. When I called Jamie Helson, the investigator, and Ty Wilson, the officer on scene, Helson flat out refused to meet with me, even when I told him I had new evidence, and Officer Ty Wilson hung up on me. Ugh, what a dick. Sorry, that was me, Lauren. Once Grant's father arrived at the hospital, Grant's autopsy was declined, knowing Grant's mother was on her way. Grant was still alive upon arrival and responded well in the ambulance with a BP of 86 over 50 and pulse ox of 85 and was still alive at the hospital. But it seems very few, if any, real life-saving measures were performed once Aaron arrived at the hospital. In fact, most life-saving measures appeared to stop. Vandy Life Flight had arrived in Gallatin and was declined. No blood work taken, no defibrillator, no body scans, no x-rays, no EEG. No ventilator was given to Grant to be kept alive, knowing his mother and sister were on their way about 45 minutes away. The most prominent questions that draw suspicions are, Father's story does not appear to match Grant's body. Father said Grant got caught under truck and was run over and drugged down parking lot to rocky ditch below Grant's Toyota Tacoma. Medical reports show one injury to the back of the head, blunt force trauma as cause of death. Grant's body had zero evidence of low-speed collision impact or dragging. No broken bones, no scratches, abrasions, burns, or trauma. No scattered body parts that would normally be expected from being drugged by a vehicle on a jagged asphalt ground. There appeared to be no spinal cord trauma as expected because as Grant laid under the truck waiting for the ambulance, one witness said Grant responded to his father's command of move your head side to side as heard on the 911 call to which Grant did. The only mark on Grant's body was bruising on his hip bone, which is believed to be from sliding in baseball. Grant's clothes. Grant's tennis shoes were still on his feet. 
had no scuff marks. Grant's socks were still perfectly white and pulled up with no marks. His cross necklace was still intact around his neck and not scratched. Grant's hands did not have a mark on them. Grant had nothing under his nails. Even the funeral home was expecting a closed casket funeral and were shocked to find Grant in near perfect condition. Grant's body was perfect for the funeral with an open casket hardly any evidence of being drugged and run over by a vehicle, in my opinion. There was no blood at the top of the hill. Father claims Grant was drugged about 25 feet by the truck before crashing down into the rocky ditch. Police photos verify that blood was at the bottom of the hill in the ditch. Photos show the rock that Grant bled out on from blunt force trauma to the skull is in the bottom of the ditch. In Grant's case, there was no suggested evidence of vehicle ground contact to his body or trajectory contact in the parking lot, and no initial impact injury of vehicle on Grant's body or in the parking lot. Evidence suggests that Grant never made contact with the vehicle at all, and the vehicle was pulled over on top of him. Due to the clearance under the truck by Grant laying in the crevice of the ditch, Grant's body suggests the truck never made contact with him, in my opinion. The undercarriage of the vehicle was boiling hot as it was driven from Franklin to Gallatin for an hour in July. Grant's skin had zero burns. Tire tracks were moving forward. Aaron claims the truck rolled backwards into a rocky ditch. However, police photos show tire tracks moving forward into the ditch. Police photos suggest that the truck was pulled forward off the road and over Grant. This does not match Aaron's story of the truck rolling backwards. Truck suspiciously disappears. Witness Aaron Solomon claimed Grant's truck malfunctioned and ran him over while causing Grant's death. However, Aaron drove the truck for months after the incident. Meanwhile, Gallatin DA claims they needed a smoking gun, and they suggested the truck to look at the case further. Investigators had been keeping an eye on Grant's truck. The truck disappeared. They ran the VIN and found the truck on the auction block and purchased the truck at auction. When the truck was presented to the Gallatin DA, they still claimed they didn't have enough evidence, even with truck forensics. Potential insurance fraud. When the truck was recovered at the auction, Aaron had claimed it was totaled and he likely collected the insurance settlement money. Forensics showed the truck was in good condition with no damage and the parts had simply been unscrewed and taken off the vehicle to appear totaled. Once again, Aaron has not been questioned about this. Forensic investigation results on Grant's truck. Investigator Dan Hodges had a forensic exam completed on the truck. One purpose of forensics was to recover the black box that records activity within the vehicle, much like an airplane black box. Aaron Solomon claimed the truck malfunctioned and killed his son, but yet he drove the truck for months after his son's death. The black box showed zero collisions to the truck and confirmed that the truck had not been totaled. In fact, the truck appeared to be in good condition and drivable. Forensics had also showed zero collisions during the time period of the incident. This suggests that the truck did not crash backwards and land in the rocky ditch below. It also did not show scratches on the undercarriage, which would have been likely present considering the rocks were large drainage rocks.
tow company for truck. The towing company has provided a written statement that the truck was found in park. How did the truck get in park when Grant was under the truck? Grant's belongings were found near the sidewalk by the road. One would have expected to find a trail of Grant's belongings starting at the top of the hill if he had started at the top of the hill and got drug under his vehicle down the hill and to the bottom of the ditch. But yet, police photos show Grant's sports goggles slash glasses were near the road, Grant's cell phone was still on with GPS map showing in the ditch, and Life 360 was still on and working. But yet, when the phone was returned to Grant's mother, it had been damaged. It looked like a hammer had smashed the center of the screen. Life 360 showed Grant's phone being driven around Hendersonville the next day. Who had the phone and why? Why wasn't the phone immediately turned over to the police knowing there was a death investigation? The phone appeared later from Aaron Solomon. 911 call. Aaron never went to his son. If my kid were under a truck, I would have lifted it myself, ran out on the road and screamed for help, gotten a carjack, held his hand, prayed with him, screamed out to the Holy Spirit, and God knows what else. The 911 operator told Aaron twice to go to his son, and he would not. The witness, baseball player that was at the scene right after the incident, said Aaron stayed at the top of the hill and paced back and forth. Aaron never went to be with his son. Why did Grant's progress seem to decline when his father arrived at the hospital? Why were most life-saving measures declined when Grant appeared to be improving in the ambulance? Why was Vandy life flight declined? No blood work was taken, no defibrillator, no body scans, no x-rays, no EEG, no ventilator was given to Grant to be kept alive, knowing his mother and sister were on their way. Especially when Grant arrived at the hospital with a BP of 86 over 50 and pulse ox of 85. Aaron Solomon's behavior. Witnesses share that Aaron did not shed a tear at the hospital the morning of Grant's death. Aaron did not shed a tear at Grant's funeral. Aaron was seen the morning after Grant's death at coffee and coconuts, sipping coffee and reading the newspaper. Holy shit, that's Lauren. Aaron has been caught in multiple different stories, versions, and on video on how the incident happened that killed his son. Multiple people noticed that Aaron's story changed as the weeks went on, and there are multiple different stories from the father. Once again, father Aaron Solomon was never brought in for questioning. Volatile relationship with father. The reason why Grant was out our ho- at our house a lot is because he was fleeing from his father. Grant begged for protection from his judge, DCS worker, and law enforcement. Many reports were filed. Grant felt like he was in a nightmare screaming for help, but no one could hear him. I also reported the father for child abuse, but it was screened out of DCS within 30 minutes. Grant feared for his father because his father had anger and rage issues and Grant was afraid. The morning that Grant passed and went to meet his father in Gallatin, he hesitated and was reluctant to go. As Grant was walking out the door, he asked his mother, mom, are you going to be around today? Yes. Why? Grant said, I don't want to die in Gallatin today. This is on record. Grant had not seen his father in quite a while and was slightly afraid to go. Potential motive. 
Written statement from friends suggests that Grant was going to testify against his father when Grant turned 18 regarding the abuse of his little sister and mother. Grant was killed two weeks after his 18th birthday. Grant had also seen concerning and potentially illegal activity on his father's computer. Now Grant's friends are home from college for the holidays. When Grant was killed, they were completely gutted, but were courageous enough to speak at Grant's funeral, carry his casket, tended to his mother and sister, and tended to his grave. But today, our boys are asking, why is there no justice? Is this how the world works? Does anyone care? Does corruption, money, and power always win? My son and his friends are now seeking counseling, not only for Grant's death, but for the deep hurt of a broken system that our public officials or anyone does not care enough to fully investigate for their brother's death. They feel helpless and that our officials have no respect for human life or justice. As young men, they have already lost faith in our justice system and in our public servants. They wonder. If they were left to die in a ditch like Grant, would anyone help them? This is how our youth is starting out in the world, completely disheartened and deflated. In my opinion, this is an epic disaster of failing a young dead boy, his community, and his grieving mother and sister. The questions we have are, Why won't Gallatin open a new and thorough investigation? The evidence strongly suggests there's nothing truthful about Aaron's alibi. Two, why won't Gallatin open a new investigation after the quote-unquote smoking gun, the truck, was presented that the DA asked for? The DA's comment to Dan Hodges was, "Why why would you bring me a case I can't prove? Well, that's their job. Three, why haven't witnesses been questioned? Not even Aaron Solomon has been brought in for questioning. Also, Aaron's closest friends that were closely involved, the days around Grant's death, hospital workers, etc., no one's been questioned. Four, why hasn't Grant's father, church, and school demanded an investigation? They seem to be almost running from it. Five, Why would Grant's school and church give sworn statements to support Aaron Solomon, but yet not demand a thorough investigation of Grant's death? Where are Grant's coaches and teachers that were closest to him? Grant worked so hard for them. Where are they now? Six, why is everyone running from this case? The strong message that I appear to get from investigator Jamie Helson is, there's nothing to see here even after I told him they were new, there was new evidence. Seven, if the truck malfunctioned and cause of death as they claim, oh, and caused a death as they claim, why wasn't Toyota notified and the truck recalled? It was instead driven around town. Eight, why didn't the father demand an autopsy if his son died in a freak accident and he didn't see a thing? Why wouldn't the father want answers? Nine, given the history of domestic violence, why was Grant's death not investigated on that alone? 10, why is the father sending out cease and desist letters to various people asking questions? Doesn't he want answers too? 11, 
If Aaron, the father, is not guilty of potential murder, couldn't this be resolved with a thorough investigation if he's telling the truth? If Aaron is guilty of potential murder, then the lack of a legitimate of a legitimate investigation is protecting the potential murderer and putting our community at risk. Hmm. Thank you, Governor Lee, for your concern for this case and to get truth and closure for Grant and his community. The longer this is ignored, the longer a potential murderer roams our community in Franklin, Tennessee. There is also an active, open investigation for Aaron Solomon regarding the potential molestation of his daughter that is ongoing out of Asheville, North Carolina. But everything regarding Grant's death gets suspiciously blocked. Please let me know if you would like me to send you copies of supporting documents, medical records, police reports, and photos that I've mentioned. Or you can speak with Dan Hodges directly. Governor Lee, we plea with you to please pick up the phone and ask Gallatin's D.A. Blanton and Whitley to conduct a new thorough and legitimate investigation that is transparent and accountable to you and the people. Not a review or we found nothing wrong after speaking with our officer on the scene. This is way beyond that now. Our investigators already have most of the answers ready to hand over to Gallatin PD or the FBI. They have done most all of the legwork. They feel confident there is foul play. If you get blocked in Gallatin, please contact our FBI for a full investigation of Grant's death and corruption within the Gallatin Police Department. There is no legitimate reason for the DA to deny a new investigation. Please share your thoughts on this case. We hope to hear back from you swiftly as this case swells with concern. We appreciate your help. Respectfully, the woman's name. I also want to point out that she did reach out to him again after he didn't respond And it's very short. She just says, Dear Governor Lee, I hope you are well. I'm contacting you again regarding Grant Solomon's case. New evidence continues to pour in, and I would like to share new evidence that will provide clarity to the events surrounding Grant's death. But mostly, Gracie Solomon's life is in danger. I understand your office has claimed there has been misinformation about this case. I am available immediately upon your first open appointment. Thank you in advance for your proactive leadership in protecting Gracie's life. Okay, wow. What a powerful letter. Thank you for sticking with me on that as um, sometimes I can't read very well. Um, But no, so she left nothing untouched. She also uh, calls the private investigator by name, Dan Hodges. This private investigator I had mentioned on a previous episode, I just didn't call him by name. But yes, Angie Solomon did use him for about a year trying to look into Grant's death herself. I mean, I am just floored that the governor would not look into this just based on this letter. However, I think if I was the woman who wrote this, it was so well-written and so detailed. I think I would have just made copies of all of the medical documents and and the police records and everything like that. I think I would have just sent it all to him so he had it. And I think it can still be done. I, I think that, you know, she should do that. And I I will discuss this with her. But anyway, I when I first read this letter, I was shocked at a number of things. But hopefully 
this really opens your eyes even more to why this case needs to be reopened and why there is just so much corruption and cover-ups. I mean, this is this is insane. And what broke my heart was hearing her speak about the kids. The kids. I mean, I'm almost 40 years old. It's like, sure, I, I have my doubts about law enforcement at times or, or the government. But yeah, when I was a teenager, absolutely not. They were my absolute heroes. So I just really hope that Tennessee uh, does the right thing here. And um, with that being said, I'm going to close out this episode. And I want to point out that we will be speaking to Gracie later in the week, just so you can get an update from her. Oh, and the last thing, I do want to mention that uh, in episode two, I did call a police officer by the name of Kevin McKelvey. His name is actually Curtis McKelvey. So I wanted to um, call out my mistake just so I have it on record. Um, anyway, thank you so much for listening to Corruption, What Happened to Grant Solomon. We'll be back again later this week for another episode.